Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast and Project, core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is Swami coming to you with pearls from our weekly resident conferences. Last week, we promised to do some pearls from our airway and procedural sedation workshops, and that's just what we're going to bring you today. Today for the podcast, I'm joined by one of our third-year residents, Jenny Beck-Esme, and she's going to tell you what pearls she gleaned over the last two weeks. Jenny, welcome to the Core EM Podcast. Hi, Swami. Thanks for having me. So the Core EM listeners are going to hear a lot from you on this project. You've already written a bunch of posts on shoulder dystocia, peripartum infections and pregnancy, and some tox-related topics as well. But for today, let's dive into airway and procedural sedation. So for our airway workshops, we did some challenging airway scenarios over in the simulation lab. Jenny, you told me that you had about six big pearls that you took away from these scenarios. So let's get into those. What was number one? Number one was look in the mouth. This is an often overlooked step in our intubation preparation, but you never know what you might find when you look in there. The patient may have a giant tongue, secondary to some amyloidosis that they forgot to mention, or dentures, or some other foreign body you need to be aware of before you begin attempting laryngoscopy. That's a great tip. I've been surprised a couple times when a patient presented with marked respiratory distress, but no witnesses or other information about what went on. And you look in the mouth and there's a big old foreign body sitting in the hypopharynx. So what's number two? Number two was to consider delayed sequence intubation or DSI for patients in which pre-oxygenation is problematic. DSI can be used for the patient who doesn't tolerate your pre-oxygenation attempts very well. The MCRIT podcast by Scott Weingart and the EM Updates website by our very own Ruben Strayer both have excellent posts on the topic. We will have links to these in the show notes. On a similar note, consider a sedation-only intubation for patients in whom you want to preserve respiratory drive and airway reflexes. This may be the right choice in a patient with difficult airway features. Again, EM Updates has good information on this awake intubation technique, and we can link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, we spoke a bit about DSI a couple weeks back when I chatted with Ruben Strayer about his airway nightmares talk. I think the concept of DSI is brilliant, and I think it's a game changer for ED intubations. Using meds for procedural sedation for the procedure of pre-oxygenation. It's as simple as that. All right, what was your number three pearl? Number three was to always be prepared for the cricothyrotomy with a scalpel and a bougie. These are rare procedures, and when we practice them in the anatomy lab, we often practice with these fancy kits that may not always be handy in the emergency department. In our airway workshop, we practice this much simpler technique with a scalpel and the bougie. You don't need any equipment that you don't always have handy anyway, and using the bougie helps make sure you're directing your tube downward and not into a false tract. Yeah, Craig's get talked a lot about on free open access medical education and podcasts, and I think for good reason. The more we talk about them, the more we practice, the more we'll be ready for the one or two times in our career when it can make a difference. Scalpel finger bougie is a great approach, and Ruben Strayer caught a great video of a crike with this technique that was featured a couple months back on MCRIT, and again, we're going to link that in the show notes so everyone can take a look at that. You know, I'm not sure if it was Ruben or Scott or Rich Levitan who said it, but there's only two kinds of emergency physician the one who carries a scalpel in his pocket at all times, and the one who carries a scalpel in his pocket at all times after he has a bad crike. All right, on to number four. Number four is an easy one. Apneic oxygenation works. Just do it. A nasal cannula should be on every patient, every time, without fail. Couldn't agree more. I think this is a critical point, and you really highlight it here. Rich Levitan, airway guru and Bellevue grad, says it best. 
The nose is the forgotten orifice when it comes to oxygenation. High flow nasal cannula during pre-oxygenation and leave it on during intubation. It's what Rich calls the no DSAT, nasal oxygen during efforts at securing a tube. The use of nasal oxygen for pre-ox and during intubation, again, are game changers in emergency medicine. It buys you a ton of time. All right, Jenny, what's the next pearl you've got? The next one is to elevate the head of the patient for better visualization. To do this, you place your right hand under the patient's occiput and gently elevate the head during laryngoscopy. At this point, of course, you need your right hand for intubation. Some people can maintain elevation by suspending the head in the optimal position with just their laryngoscope hand. I'm a smaller person, so this is difficult for me. My trick here is to rest the patient's head on my abdomen, keeping it in the elevated position and giving me back my right hand. So this is just another way to improve your visualization of the cords, and it's a relatively new tip for me. I've not done this before. Ruben Strayer's got a post, and again, we're going to drop that into the show notes so everyone can check it out. All right, on to tip number six, your last tip, Jenny, make it a good one. Sometimes you have to bag. In emergency medicine, we have such a comfort with rapid sequence intubation that at times, especially for trainees like myself, we tend to fear bagging. Sometimes, though, good bagging is required to properly pre-oxygenate a patient. Don't fear the BVM. Just make sure to have double suction ready in case of emesis. Knowing the proper way to BVM is a key procedure for emergency physicians, and it's going to save your ass sometimes. The best way to do this is with two operators, none of the one hand to make a seal. Have one person whose job it simply is to hold a good seal and another person squeezing the bag. Honestly, the person squeezing the bag can be the less skilled of the pair. It's holding that seal that's going to be critical. And don't forget, we don't push the mask down on the patient's face, but we lift the mandible and chin up into the mask. Now, an alternate to BVM would be to drop an LMA and bag through that. And I've had a lot of good fortune with that as a solution as well and patients who couldn't oxygenate. And there were a couple of other things that I thought were really important from this session, and I want to throw those in here as well. One was that you have to know the proper medication doses for RSI. These should be second nature for emergency physicians, but I find that on occasion, people kind of have them wrong. So Jenny, I was thinking we could do a little call and response. I'll name the medication, and you're going to tell me the dose for RSI. You ready for this? Let's do it. All right, rocuronium. 1.2 milligrams per kilogram, but it's easy to just round up to 1.5. Perfect. Remember, there's no such thing as over paralysis, but under paralysis is really going to make it difficult to intubate a patient. How about succinylcholine? Again, 1.5 milligrams per kilogram, but it's easy here to just round up to two. Right. So same take home message there. You can't over paralyze someone, but sometimes in the critical environment, we can sort of lose our basic math skills. All right. How about ketamine? Two milligrams per kilogram. Excellent. Let's move on to another one. Atomidate. 0.3 milligrams per kilogram. And lastly, propofol. Propofol is about two to two and a half milligrams per kilogram. Perfect five for five on that. Another pearl from the airway workshops is patients who are critically ill or injured, any induction medication is going to cause hypotension. It's not the agent, it's the dose. If the patient's hypotensive, go with a reduction of the dose of induction agent, but increase the paralytic to make sure it's effective. All right, Jenny, you got anything else that you want to tell the listeners before we wrap up the podcast? Sure, Swami. Before I started on this career in emergency medicine, I was an actress, and I think some of the tools I used in that life can be very helpful in the emergency department, especially for trainees. When you're at the head of the bed, it's like you are on stage. All eyes are on you, and this can be quite intimidating. Knowing your plan and knowing your medications ahead of time is very helpful. Be confident and speak clearly and loudly. 
make the entire room aware of your plan and backup plan and really take control of that airway. I love this. You're right. We often feel like we're performing on a stage. Why not embrace it? Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Our site has been up for about six weeks now, and there's a ton of great posts there to be found. Last week, we put up a post on ultrasound-guided pericardiocentesis, and this Wednesday, there's going to be a post on hyperkalemia. We're also going to have a journal review up on Thursday discussing a recent article in the Journal of Emergency Medicine comparing diltiazem head-to-head with metoprolol for rate control and atrial fibrillation. So come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. Visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at the handle core underscore EM. 